been 19 years since we started this church, we've faced a variety of challenges, struggles. One of those early on in life of the church was how could we grow grass in our little lawn? Typically, by the end of each summer, our lawn was dirt and a few weeds. It wasn't functional. It certainly wasn't very pretty. And I enjoyed a little bit of lawn work in moderation. So, so several years across that, I thought, I'm, I'm going to solve this. I will grow some grass. So I went to Home Depot and bought the largest bag of grass seed I could find. I spread way more grass seed than the, the bag recommended, you know, all across the lawn and watered and waited for the grass to grow. But the challenges weren't over. Immediately when I scattered all this seed, it was as if I had sent out a signal to every bird in greater Boston as they all began to swoop in and eat the seed. They were all happy, but I could see it just all just disappearing as it went. Then there was the challenge of how do we water the grass? How do I stay ahead in that way? And then we had a weekly challenge of little feet that came and would run around when the grass began to grow. We, we love kids. We want kids at the church. But just as the grass was growing, the, the kids are running around and squashing all the grass that's there. So that at the end of each summer, we were back to where we started, just dirt and weeds. And eventually, we did cheat. We laid sod and put down sprinklers. So at the very least, now we have green weeds, and a lot of them, and they're at least well watered now. But over the years, as I was scattering that seed and watching the birds and seeing it fail, I was reminded each time of actually one of Jesus' more well-known parables. And Jesus tells a parable of seeds being planted and what happens to those seeds and, and some that flourish and some that don't. And Jesus' words are quite helpful for us today in Cambridge. That's what we seek to understand the world that we live in, how the message of Jesus is received, and even how we might receive it ourselves. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew 13. Today will be in Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. So when the Bible's near you, you can find that on page 818. Page 818. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app, just so you can see the text in front of you, so you can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers you'll find are the chapter numbers. So in chapter 13, the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We'll start with verse 1. I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time together. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we as a church would love to give you one as a gift. Following the service at the back of the room, there's a table, there's a stack of Bibles there. Please just grab one of those Bibles and take it with you as our gift to you today. So we're continuing our series. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew. We pick it up today in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This morning as we look at our passage, we'll see this central emphasis in the text. The gospel is powerful and bears fruit in the lives of those who truly receive it, even as many refuse it. The gospel is powerful, bears fruit in the lives of those who receive it, even as many refuse it. We'll look at our text in two parts. So first, we'll see the blessing of hearing. And then second, we'll see the hope of harvest. So the blessing of hearing, the hope of harvest. So first, we see the blessing of hearing in verses 1 through 17. Our passage begins, and we're told that Jesus went out to the sea, sat down by the sea, but this crowd gathers. They find him, and they want to hear him teach. So because the crowd is so large, Jesus gets into a boat, pushes out a bit, turns back to face the shore, and the people stand on the shore while Jesus sits and teaches. So Jesus begins to teach them. Now, this was nothing new. We've seen this across the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been teaching repeatedly across these first 12 chapters. But we see something different today in verse 3. It says, he told them many things in parables. So a shift is happening in Jesus' teaching. Now he's moving to these parables. And Jesus tells what we often refer to as the parable of the sower. It's a picture of a man who goes out to plant seeds, to sow seeds. And as he's sowing, the, the seeds end up in a variety of places. We're told some seed fell along the path because the path would often be walked on. The, the soil would be packed down. 
so the seeds couldn't penetrate. So the seeds land, they can't penetrate, and the birds swoop in and eat them, and nothing comes of those seeds. Other seed, we're told, fell on more rocky ground. That's easy for us to visualize in New England where there's rocky soil everywhere, but because it's rocky, the soil is shallow. So the seed does take root, but they're very shallow roots. It begins to spring up, but the sun comes out, and because there's such shallow roots, it eventually withers quickly because of the heat. Other seed, we're told, fell among thorns. And this seed did grow up. But as it grew up, next to it also thorns were growing up. Initially, no challenge from them, but in time, the thorns grew and grew and slowly began to take over and grab hold of the seed, the plant, and then eventually choked it. It overcame it. And then other seed did fall on good soil. And this seed produced a harvest, a hundredfold, some, some 60 and some 30. And then Jesus concludes, verse 9, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. She's urging all that day who were listening. He says, listen closely, hear this. At the level of your heart, understand what I'm saying. At some point that day, presumably in private, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, why are you teaching them in parables? Why this move to use parables in his teaching? We first want to consider, what do we mean by parables? In the Gospels, we have around 60 parables of Jesus. The majority of them we find in the Gospel of Matthew and in Luke. We find a few in the Gospel of Mark, but actually there are none in the Gospel of John. And in these parables, Jesus very often uses illustrations from the world of that day, from everyday life, in order to teach people. But sometimes people have the idea that that parables are intended to make a very simple explanation to everyone. But in fact, that's not all that's going on in these parables. Author D.A. Carson helps us here, one, in understanding the pretty broad category of parable and what Jesus is doing. Carson writes, a parable can be a proverb, a profound or obscure saying, An illustrative comparison, whether without the form of a story or with the form of a story. An illustrative story involving comparison of unlikes and more. And most, though not all, parables are extended metaphors or similes. And he goes on to say, it's naive to say Jesus spoke them so that everyone could easily grasp the truth. And it's simplistic to say that the sole function of parables to outsiders was to condemn them. If Jesus simply wished to hide the truth from outsiders, he need never have spoken to them. So he must must preach without casting his pearls before swine. And he does so in parables, in such a way as to harden and reject those who are hard of hearts, and to enlighten, often with further explanation, his disciples. So in being mindful of the context, we've seen across Jesus' ministry thus far, clear, direct teaching. Again and again and again, Jesus has been teaching, laying out the way of his kingdom, the the, the meaning of it, what it looks like to follow him. Many have heard, some have believed, but many, we might even say most, have rejected him. They've listened a lot did not yet believe. And in particular, so many of the Jewish religious leaders had rejected Jesus. And so it's in that context that Jesus outlines 
aspects of why he teaches in parables. He explains in verse 11 that in the crowd that day, as he was teaching, there are really two groups of people. Those who've heard Jesus and believed him. They've heard the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom, and they've trusted in him. And then there is the rest. Those that we might say are outside. They too have heard the message of Jesus, but they've refused. And now Jesus says he teaches them in parables. Now, how did one move from being an outsider to an insider? It was to hear the message of Jesus, to understand and to believe. But sadly, many would continue to listen to Jesus among these crowds, but so many would refuse him. Unfortunately, we see across the Gospels, people consistently move from outside to inside. as They would hear Jesus and finally believe, finally place their trust in him. Jesus gives us more, verse 14 and 15. He then quotes from Isaiah 6. And Jesus says, this prophecy is being fulfilled in that day by the people. He says in this way that the people are hearing, but they don't understand. They're seeing, but not perceiving. Their hearts, sadly, have grown dull. They've chosen to close their eyes. So he says, as the prophet Isaiah says, they've had a chance to hear, but they've refused to really listen. So in time, their hearts have grown more and more hard, more and more dull. Their ears and their eyes are closed to the message of Jesus. So Jesus is saying that as he teaches in these parables, these parables serve a purpose of reinforcing what's already going on in the heart of the hearer. For the one who is open, for the one who desires to hear and to receive, these parables are the very means for receiving the message of the kingdom. But for the one who has closed ears, whose heart is dull, these parables serve to even harden the already hard heart. We see that there's condemnation for those who refuse to hear. But also there's great blessing in hearing. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Jesus tells them that the prophets and God's people throughout the generations had longed for the promised Messiah to become. They've been told again and again of his coming, and they had waited from generation to generation to generation. And now, in that moment, those hearers, Jesus' disciples, were seeing the Messiah in person. Jesus Jesus was trying to help them to see, do do you understand what you're experiencing, the blessing of seeing this in person? But this was a unique moment in history. All of history had been building towards the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the King. So Jesus reminds them how blessed they are. But friends, believe it or not, we're actually more blessed than they were. So they saw the Messiah that everyone had been waiting for. But as we've seen in the gospel, even though they're seeing him, things are still foggy. They're having a hard time understanding all that Jesus is doing and meaning. And at this moment, they're before Jesus' cross. They're before his resurrection. So it's still pretty hard to understand all that's happening. But friends, we live now on this side. So we look back on the cross, the resurrection. We have the scriptures. Friends, the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're a Christian. So our blessings are even greater. 
Friend, you understand you have the whole Bible. We each can have a copy. If you don't have a copy, you can take one today. What a blessing it is. So they were blessed to be able to see and hear. And friends, so are we. We see the blessing of hearing. But then second, we see the hope of harvest. The hope of harvest in verses 18 through 22, through 23. We see verse 18, that Jesus then explains this parable to the disciples. So verse 19, he says, the first seed that's sown on the path that the bird snatches, Jesus says, this is a situation where a person hears the message of the kingdom of Jesus, but they don't understand it. They don't grasp it. And while they're lacking an understanding, there's a spiritual enemy, the evil one comes and snatches it away. So here there are two hindrances to the word that's sown. Not understanding and the evil one who snatches it away. Friend, if you've been with us in Matthew so far, I hope you've noticed how regularly Jesus speaks of this invisible but real spiritual battle that's going on. That there's a very real spiritual enemy who wants to undermine the work of God in the world, who wants to destroy Christians, who wants to keep people from hearing the message of the gospel. The vast majority of people in our city would scoff at the notion of Satan and some demons. But Satan is unconcerned whether we believe in him or not. He's actively at work in the world trying to keep people from truly hearing and receiving. Then in verse 20, the second seed is the seed that's sown on the rocky ground. And Jesus said, this, person, this is like the person who hears the word and initially responds to it in some way and with great joy. So they're really excited. They're hearing about Jesus, about his saving work, about his kingdom. And they're thrilled by this, but unfortunately, they don't have spiritual roots. Difficulties come in life, opposition, suffering, and they fall away. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you've likely known someone that experienced that. You saw them be very excited at first at hearing the message of Jesus. But unfortunately, in time, they wandered from the truth. Verse 22, then the seed that's sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, begins to grow and mature. Some fruit is coming, but also they don't realize that while they're growing, these thorns are growing right next to them. And the time these thorns begin to grab hold and to choke out their willingness to hear. Now, very importantly, these thorns don't choke suddenly, but gradually. That's what's so dangerous about these cares. The previous group, what, what kind of shook their confidence was suffering, difficulty, opposition, even persecution. Here, the challenge is prosperity, success, the cares of this world chokes out their desire to hear and trust the word. Then in verse 23, the, the seed which is sown on good soil. This is the one that hears the word and understands it, receives it, and this person bears fruit, some hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. The result is a beautiful harvest. But then we stand back from this parable, we say, but, but what is Jesus wanting to teach us here? What's the central thrust of this parable? 
But first, we want to see how the kingdom of Jesus comes. And the kingdom of Jesus comes through a word, through a message, through news. The message of the kingdom of Jesus does not come through coercion. It doesn't come by the sword. Now, there have been people who've done things in the name of Jesus with swords, but let's be clear, they, they were not following the way of Jesus. But the way of Jesus does not come forcing, coercing, but with this outrageous method of news that is shared, that is heard, that is responded to. This humble king has come near announcing his kingdom. And it's announced and offered out to any and all who would receive it by faith. Now, the main point of this parable is that Jesus wants us to see and understand that the word of the kingdom, or what we might call the gospel, is always receiving a varied response in the world. The message of the gospel is always receiving a varied response in the world. So it's an explanation of what's going on at any given time. Just imagine that day. So Jesus is in the boat, and he's teaching this large crowd. This was going on that day in the crowd. So there's a person who's maybe hearing the gospel, but as he listens to Jesus, he just doesn't understand. And Satan's at work in the life of that person so that he won't understand, just snatching the word of Jesus away. And that person doesn't receive the message. But there's another who, as they're hearing at first, they're excited by this. They're thinking, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the king? And so he's thrilled by it. But he has no foundation. And no one is able to help him. And so within a few weeks, he's gone. He's disappointed with some difficulties that he's facing in life. In the crowd that day, there are also some who've listened to Jesus for some time. They would think of themselves as a follower of Jesus. But as they sit and listen to Jesus, they're not really listening because they're concerned with the cares of this world. Thinking about how they might grow their small business. How they might build a bigger house. How they might enlarge their barn. That's grabbing their attention. They're distracted. But also in the crowd, there are some who are hearing and truly believing the harvest is coming in their lives. So this is always happening. In our city, as, as we're scattered each week to our neighborhoods and offices and, and campuses, we, by God's grace, are seeking to share this good news as we go. And we will also see these varied responses. Some will receive what you share. So many will refuse. But Jesus' teaching here can help us so that we understand what's going on. So one, that we're not shocked, nor do we despair when someone refuses the message of Jesus. Or nor, nor are we overwhelmed when someone is excited for a while and then wanders. We understand the reality that so many will refuse the message. But we also want to seek to guard our hearts against pessimism. We don't want to be a pessimistic people that, that assume that no one will be interested. That's not the Christian outlook. But instead, we can have a spirit-empowered optimism and hope, willing to hope again and again, while having a realistic understanding and view of how the gospel spreads. Now, even as we're aware that this teaches us how to think about 
what's going on in the world around us, a valuable application of this parable is also for every person to consider our own lives and, and how we are hearing or not hearing the message of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you would give part of your Sunday morning to join us. It's our desire that you would hear the message of Jesus. It's what we often refer to as the gospel. And the gospel is, is the reality of a gracious God who out of great love sent forth Jesus Christ into the Son to save, to rescue sinners like us. For all humans, all of us have gone our own way. We're all rebellious to the core. We would still do good things in this world. We're not all as bad as we might be, but we're all far from God in our rebellion and unable to save ourselves. And so Jesus Christ, God the Son, came near and lived a perfect, sinless life. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he died taking our place, bearing our sin, our shame, the punishment that we deserve. He takes so that we would receive his righteousness, forgiveness. So Christ dies, he's buried, and raised on the third day to provide this salvation as a free gift to any and all who receive it by faith. And upon receiving it, we're forgiven by God. We're adopted into God's own family. We're brought into a transformed and being transformed life now and the hope of eternity when finally there will be no more suffering and no more sin and no more sorrow. And friend, if that's new to you, we, we most want you to just have some time to explore that. It's our hope that in time you might come to understand that message. And so maybe initially it might be you just want to come and join us like this week in and week out. Just know that you are welcome, but also that your questions are welcome. Whenever you'd like to voice those questions or say, I'd like to know more, we would love to help you to the extent that you're ready to talk about that. So if at some point you'd like to talk with someone, we'd arrange with someone to just sit with you and answer questions. And, and one of the most helpful things we'd like to do with people is simply to read the Bible with you. Not to tell you what to think, but just to look together at what Jesus is saying. So then you can respond, whether you want to hear and receive Jesus or to refuse him. I do want to say a caution because sometimes it can be tempting to be curious, but to stay in this sort of curious spot for weeks, months, or even years. Thinking of yourself not yet a Christian, but hearing again and again. Friend, just let me tell you that listening to and even enjoying reading the Bible, even enjoying hearing sermons, that is not sufficient in the end. That's a means to receiving this gift of salvation. And if I listen and listen and listen and continue to receive, there's a sense in which it even hardens our hearts. We're consistently refusing Jesus. For others of you, perhaps fairly recently, you've, you've heard the message of Jesus and you've had joy. You've been excited to know, is there really a God who could forgive you, who would change you, who would free you from shame and sin? My friend, we're thrilled with you if that's where you are. And we'd love to walk with you that you might understand more, that you might have some roots, some foundation. And so friend, let me encourage you, whether it's in this church or another church in the city, Find a local church where you can be together with these others to help you so that you can put down roots and you can grow in joy as you understand more and more of God's grace and faithfulness. And I do want to say to you that, that there's much joy in the Christian life, but the Christian life is not a promise of a trouble-free life. Sometimes in American Christianity, that's what people spread is this idea, trust Jesus 
It's a trouble-free life. It's just foreign to the Bible, though. What Jesus has promised is his presence and his power in us through the very real troubles and pain and suffering in this life. Friends, we all, for Christians, we also want to be alert to the very real danger we see and the temptation of being distracted by what Jesus calls the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, of riches. These are two substantial dangers for every one of us today. First, the cares of this world, which are so many. And many of these are not sinful in and of themselves. They can be a good thing. So the, the care of this world for you might be your job. It's a good and right and godly thing to glorify God in your work, but it is possible for a job to, to take too high of a place in your heart. Or friends, as a student, as you begin this term, it's a, it's a good and right thing to glorify God on campus, to be a light for Christ in your particular school, but be careful. It's easy to convince yourself, I need more time to study, more time for research, and slowly it chokes out your engagement with God's word and his people. It might be a desire for a spouse that becomes dominant in your life. If you're a parent, it so easily becomes your children. It's a good and right thing for, for parents to care for and invest their children, but be careful that you've not sort of been choked out of engagement in the life of the church or, or in the life of others because you're only focusing on your own children. But there's so many cares that so easily choke out our connection to God's word and his people. The second danger is what Jesus calls the deceitfulness of riches. And this one also is powerful and it's deceitful because almost every person says, that's not for me because I'm not rich. If I polled everyone in this room and I asked you, do you think you're rich? Pretty much no one thinks they're rich because there's someone else who has more than us. So we're like, oh, there's some rich people, those people out there. But the reality is, wherever we are, whatever we have, it is possible for the love of money to grip us. It's possible to glorify God with much wealth, to be content with much wealth. And it's possible to be covetousness jealous with almost nothing and everything in between. So friend, don't think that this isn't a real danger for you. It's so easy for us to be dissatisfied, discontent with what we have, and always just wanting a little more. Now in these two dangers, there's not likely a sudden shift. Most Christians are not just going to one day say, you know what, I just want to let the care of work wipe out my faith. We wouldn't do that in a moment. So the way it typically plays out is a drift that's almost imperceptible. Imagine with me that this past summer you went to the lake with some friends, and so you were on the dock, and so you get on a little raft next to the dock, and so you're laying on the raft, just relaxing, but you're holding on to the dock. But then you're also going to read a book. And so you're, you're reading a book. It's a really good book while you're holding on to the dock. But eventually you have to like turn the pages because you're reading a real book, not, not like one of those electric ones. So you, have a, you have a real book and you're, you're sitting there turning the pages and you're really getting into it, reading more and more and more. But after some time, you, you sit up and you realize, I let go of the dock. And in fact, you've now drifted a very long distance from the dock. You didn't plan to do it. 
You didn't even notice it, but it happened. My friends, so it is with these two dangers. It's so easy for the Christian to eventually be choked out our life, our godliness, by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. So I wonder if you thought about where you were a year ago in faith or two years ago. Is it possible you've drifted from there? Where once you were engaged in regularly reading God's word, you once were engaged in the life of a local church, you once were engaged in serving the life of the church, but you didn't plan for this. The fact is you've drifted. If so, friend, it's a good thing to identify and to repent of and to turn back today. And because of the danger of this drift, most of us will be helped if we have a friend who we give the freedom to ask us about that. So if you know yourself well, let's say, and you're a student, and you say, I know I could give myself too much to my schoolwork, it'd be helpful to ask a friend, say, would you check with me to make sure I don't go too far? Or if it's work, or whether it is riches, to have someone who has access to your life. Now we see in our text that a person enters Jesus' kingdom by hearing and believing. So if I'm, if I'm a Christian, what do I need to do now? It is keep hearing, keep receiving. As Christians, we never move beyond hearing God, receiving his word. So friend, you want to cultivate in your life a regular rhythm of hearing from God through the scriptures. So this will encourage you to think through what would it look like to maybe set a goal of more often than not reading a small portion of the Bible. It might be you just read a paragraph and then tomorrow you read the next paragraph and the next day you read the next paragraph. And you're okay that it doesn't happen every single day. You know, that's not the goal because you, you know you might not keep that, but just say, yeah, just more days than not though. That's my aspiration so that I'd hear from God through the scriptures. And then we have a chance to gather to hear from God as the word is preached in times like this. So let me encourage you to, to think ahead towards this time. Prepare yourself for it. It might be, you know, in order to, to hear well on Sunday morning, I might need a little bit more sleep on Saturday night or just a bigger coffee on Sunday morning. You, you choose, maybe both. So I want to come, but also knowing yourself, how do you listen well? So for me, when I listen to a sermon, I take notes not necessarily because I'll ever return to the notes again, but for me, just the way I think, it helps me to kind of do that. But if notes don't help you, don't take notes. The goal isn't notes or not notes. The goal is hearing from God, knowing yourself that you might get the most out of a sermon that you hear. We often find fruitfulness to talk about it. So, so maybe today you're going to go for lunch with some people. Maybe it's a part of the lunch conversation. Talk about what you heard in the sermon. Well, that's what we do in our community groups that, that start uh, next week. There, we talk together about the Word. So friend, if you've been a Christian for some time, ask yourself, am I continuing to listen to God's Word? Am I teachable? Because the temptation, the longer we're Christians, the more we've been around God's Word, is to think we know. Even as I began to read the parable of the sower, many of you thought, I've heard this. Interesting story, but I've heard this. And just suddenly, we, we all, myself included, were tempted to sort of just tune it out. And 
Are you teachable? Or are you engaged, as I think is tempting to many of us, in a sort of selective hearing? We still want to hear from God, but only where he commends what I've already decided I want to do. Only when he's encouraging what I want, but in a place where he might contradict my choices, my lifestyle, now I'm selectively hearing from God. Friends, let's pray that we would have attentive hearts. Now in our text, Jesus is clearly presenting himself as the sower. He's the one sowing the seeds. But after we receive, we believe in Christ, we, we then bear fruit. Well, one of the reasons that a farmer bears fruit is to plant more crops for the next year and plant more crops for the next year. And so that's Jesus' mission. So friend, once you become a Christian, follow him, you are now to join in this sowing work. Jesus now sows his word in the world today through us, through you and me. So friends, you're brought into this as you think about neighbors, coworkers, fellow students, family members, strangers. You and I, for Christians, are here to sow the word. We do this as we build relationships, as we seek to serve neighbors, as we engage in intentional hospitality, and then eventually we want to have a spiritual conversation. We want to ask helpful questions and eventually speak of Jesus. And friends, we can do this with hope and optimism because the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. We're not powerful, but the gospel is. So we don't have to be fearful. We can have courage hope. So friends, we want to pray for the sowing of seeds. So maybe you wonder, what should I pray for my church about? Pray for your church, for all of us as we're scattering seeds this week. Any number of us in different parts of the city, Lord, would you be working through fellow church members as they scatter seeds? Pray for this time. Think about what what I'm going to pray for for Sunday. Lord, pray for whoever's preaching and pray that God would work through the simple means of the preaching of his word, the seed would be sown and it would bear fruit. Along those lines, tonight we gather at five and we'll sing together and we'll pray together. And if you're trying to share the gospel with friends or family members, we'd love to pray for you tonight. You can just say, hey, I'm trying to share with a coworker. We would pray for you. We'd love to do that. That's this evening at five. As we think about our own sowing, we should notice how the sower sowed. He sowed generously. He was not worried about running out of seed. So we sow. There's an unlimited supply of seed that God has given to us in the gospel. So we can just scatter it wherever we go, every place you go. And as we go, we don't have to be alert to or try to analyze, is this good soil or not? Because we don't know. So you don't have to sort of pre-qualify a coworker and say, I can't imagine she would ever want to hear, so I'm just not going to tell her. That's not your job. Your next door neighbor, oh, I don't think he would ever want to hear. That's not our job. We don't know. So it is our role to sow seeds. And through the sowing of the seed and people hearing in time, some believe. Friends, as we do this, it takes time for seeds to grow. So we'll need to be patient, to persevere, but trust that a wonderful harvest can come. You have seen this story in the news a couple of years ago. I read about it. About this man by the name of Jadev Payeng, who's from India. And in 1978, he came home to an island that he'd grown up on in a river. And when he came home to this island, he saw on that there was, it was basically a desolate island. 
no trees, almost nothing growing. And what he saw were many snakes that had died because of the sun was just so hot. Now, if you don't like snakes, you'd be like, awesome, it's great. <laughs> but, but he cared about the snakes. He didn't want to see them die. So he went to a neighboring village and he asked them, what can I do so that the snakes don't die? And they said, you need some trees. So this desolate island needs some trees. And the, the neighboring village, they gave him 50 seeds and 25 bamboo plants. And this man began to regularly plant. Plant seeds, plant bamboo, day after day, month after month, year after year, for decades. He's planting, and he's planting, and he's planting. What was the result decades later? where there once was a desolate island, now there are over 1,300 acres of forest. This forest is now the home of five Bengal tigers, over 100 deer, wild boar, many species of birds. From a desolate forest, and from a desolate island, to a lush forest. So this one man, faithfully persevering, planting seed, planting and planting and planting, and eventually this lush forest. And what an opportunity we have in greater Boston, in what statistically would be one of the, the least Christian parts of the country. Do you have the chance as we scatter this week to campus and to work to, to sow seeds? And to sow seeds, and we'll need to be patient, and we'll need to persevere but well, friends, the gospel is powerful. So just imagine with me if we just stay the course in this for years, for decades, someday in the future, Boston could be a lush gospel environment filled with churches in neighborhood after neighborhood, more Christians than there have been in decades in this city. Through ongoing, simple, faithful, patient, persevering seed sowing. Because let's hear the word. Let's sow the word that there might be a beautiful harvest in our city.